welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over a decade of experience. And this is Trisha, and sometimes I use the Pharrell as a bookmark. The Pharrell? What's that? A jacket of a book. Oh, that's what I was kind of thinking, mm-hmm. but I wasn't sure. But I totally do that, too. I mean, I guess that only happens when you have a hardcover book. It's true. Which, I hate hardcover books, though. I know. They're heavy. Yeah. And if you drop them in the bathtub, it's just ruinous. Uh-huh. You know, more so than a paperback. Right. It's hard to hold, harder to hold open. Mm-hmm. I've got small hands, so mm-hmm. they're also usually bigger. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it makes your hands look even smaller. Right. And then people will tease you. Well, that's not what I was thinking. Oh, I was thinking okay. that it's uncomfortable to hold when they're bigger. Gotcha. That's what she said. <laughs> Sorry. I couldn't. I couldn't. Okay. That's fair. Also, they're more expensive. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, welcome to Addicted to Murder, Billy Milligan, part two. Yes. Yeah. So uh, it's Courtney's question today. It is my question today. So I, I'm going to go with something kind of easy today. Would you rather always be... 10 minutes late or 20 minutes early? Early. Because I can sit in my car and play Pokemon for 20 minutes anywhere. Fair. Yeah. How about you? Oh, same. Yeah. Being late is one of the things I hate most in this world. Yeah, it isn't very courteous. It's not. And it's like embarrassing to walk in late and... Yeah. Or like everyone's waiting for you, and that's uncomfortable. So, and if you're too late, they'll reschedule your appointment. Exactly. <laughs> and that's just a pain in the ass. So, yep. So I am pretty much always early everywhere, unless some unforeseen problem comes up. I cut it awful close, uh, like to work. Mm-hmm. I know exactly how long it takes me to get to work. So if if there's any like a train, then I'm a little, you know, shit out of luck. Mm-hmm. But you know, I do attempt to cut it, or I do attempt to get there on time. Uh, I always aim to get there like 10 minutes early. That's probably a better system. <laughs> so, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Well, um, thanks for that question. You're welcome. Do you want to do a little recap for us? Yeah. So, in Billy Milligan, part one, we met little Billy, who was... Raised by mostly his mother after his biological father um, died by suicide when he was only four years old. Mm-hmm. Experienced a lot of abuse, um, potentially from both of his biological parents and then really significant abuse by his stepfather. Chalmer. Chalmer. Mm-hmm. And from a very young age, seemed to start fracturing and splitting into different personalities to help him survive and cope with those feelings. Right. And we discussed last time that DID, formerly known as multiple personality disorder, is extremely rare and only happens with severe and prolonged abuse when you're a young child. Correct. Yes. So after um, this episode, I don't know if you looked at that YouTube video I shot you. I'd seen it before, um, a Med Circle YouTube video, which I really like, Med Circle. And it was of a woman that has DID. She has 11, pers- 19 personalities. Anyhow, it's I'll put it in the, try to remember to put it in the show notes because it's like a fascinating interview with her. 
And of course, she suffered horrible abuse as a child. Yes. And her, from what I remember, because I, I rewatched it like halfway, but I had watched it before. Um, she's not fused. She still has them, but she's like got a relationship with them. There's so some she, like co-consciousness yes. happening. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's one or two where she doesn't remember when they take over, but most of the time, and they're all safe. Right. That's good. Uh, anyhow, it's it's just fascinating, and uh, her story is hearing it from her uh, in in a much more recent interview setting. Right. Is is very interesting. So. Right. Yeah, I've seen a few different like documentaries about it um, with like different people, um, and it was something kind of interesting that I learned since last week mm-hmm. um, was that the average age um, for a first alternative uh, personality to show up is five years old. Really? Mm-hmm. So Billy having them show up before then. I mean, well, he was, he was like he was four. like fourish when so Christine came around mm-hmm. and Sean. Yep, so it's not too far off. Yeah, but. yeah. Interesting. I wonder what happens at f- around five, where that is when it decides to occur. Something must be happening, you know, development wise. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, the anyway. the book that we're using again, "The Minds of Billy Milligan" by Daniel Keyes. Daniel, not Danielle. Daniel Keyes. It's a great book. He worked with Billy Milligan to write that book. And um, that four-part documentary on Netflix, The 24 Faces of Billy Milligan, I think is what it's called. 24 Minds. Well, it's 23. I thought, but I thought that the thing was, well, 23 plus him. Maybe. So I thought it was 20. Hold on. Pausing. We double-checked Monsters Inside the 24 Faces of Billy Milligan on Netflix, four-part documentary. It's fascinating. Go check it out Yes, if you haven't yet. All right, so we're jumping back in. So by this time, Dorothy, the mom, definitely knew something was going on with Billy. Quote, Billy wasn't Billy at times. He was moody. He was off to himself. I would say something to him, and he wouldn't answer me, like he was far off and thinking about it, staring into space. He would go wandering downtown like he used to when he would sleepwalk. He'd do it from school. Sometimes if they caught him in school before he had a chance to wander off, they would keep in it, keep him and call for me to come get him. Sometimes he'd just leave and they'd call me. I'd go looking for him everywhere, finding him wandering downtown and bring him home. And I'd say to him, okay, Billy, you go lay down. But that child didn't even know which direction his bedroom was. I'd go in there and I'd think, my God. Well, how do you feel? I'd ask him when he'd wake up. He'd look real bewildered and say, Did I stay home today? And I'd say, No, Billy, you did not stay home today. Don't you remember me coming after you? You were at school, and Mr. Young called me, and I came up to the school after you. Don't you remember coming home with me? He'd look dazed and nod and say, Oh, don't you remember? I guess I just wasn't feeling well today. So that's the end of that quote. The school staff assumed it was drug-related, but Dorothy knew it was not. She told everyone she could that he needed help. Well, at least she says she did. Courtney, she talks about Billy being a sleepwalker. Does sleepwalking have to do with trauma at times? So yes and no. Most people who sleepwalk do not have a history of trauma. 
but sleepwalking is linked to periods of increased stress. And at times, it can be considered part of the overall sleep disruption that comes with PTSD or trauma. So it's kind of like if you have trauma and you sleepwalk, they could be connected. But if you sleepwalk, that doesn't mean you have trauma, okay. if that makes sense. Okay. Um, but that being said, I'm not really sure that what Dorothy describes as sleepwalking is actually sleepwalking. Or, you know, I think it's better explained as a dissociative state where one of Billy's alters was probably in charge. Okay. So Arthur was the next personality that figured out there were others besides himself. He tried to keep track of the time he lost and had an interaction with Tommy. They were both confused on why the other was there. Eventually, Arthur was able to figure out that there were 23 altogether and Billy residing in the body. Also, Arthur also learned that Christine, who was the first to know the other alters, was the only one that could, quote, read the other mind, so to speak. Arthur could not do this, but he was eager to learn. Courtney, what do you think is happening and why can Christine do this? The most likely reason is that um, that Christine was so connected to the other alters is that she was the first one to form. So it was just her and Billy in there for a while. So she would have been sensitive to the presence of others kind of showing up in the space and having to share that space in Billy's mind. And then also, you know, being a very young child, um, she was only, I think, three years old. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when the older alters form, they tend to sort of take on a caretaking role for the little ones. So not only um, was Christine aware of the others, but they were most likely aware of her fairly quickly too. Well, and I don't remember if we put this in here later, so forgive me if we do, but I do recall that Christine was dyslexic and one of the older alters, probably Arthur, taught yep. her how to read. Yes, Arthur did it's teach her how to read. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> So I'm going to share the school psychologist's report regarding Billy at this time. Quote, on several occasions, Bill couldn't remember where he was, couldn't recall where his belongings were, and could not walk without assistance. The pupils of his eyes were pinpoint in size at these times. Recently, Bill, Bill has had frequent altercations with teachers and peers, which result in his leaving class. During these episodes, he is depressed, cries, and becomes incommunicative. Incommunicative. During one of these recent episodes, Bill was observed attempting to step in front of a moving car. Bill was taken to a physician for his behavior. It was reported that the diagnosis was, quote, psychic trances. During my evaluation, Bill appeared depressed, but well in control of his behavior. The evaluation revealed a strong dislike for his stepfather and strong aversion to his home because of this. Bill sees his stepfather as an extremely rigid, tyrannical individual with little feeling for others. This impression was verified by Bill's mother in a parent conference. She reported that Bill's natural father committed suicide and that Bill's stepfather often compared Bill to his natural father. He frequently states that Bill and his mother were responsible for the natural father's suicide. That is what mom told the psychologist anyhow. Courtney, what do you get from this assessment? So it seems very clear to me that what was happening at school was a result of Billy and his alters slipping in and out of the spot, which is what we they called it um, in terms of who was in control of the body. And we talked about this a little bit last time, right? 
where, you know, Arthur might be in control for some of the academic work since he liked that. And then Billy would come back and not know how he got to school or what he was doing. And my guess would be that the times that he would be crying or not communicating, um, that Sean, the child alter who was also deaf that we met in the last episode, maybe mm-hmm. was on the spot. And the psychic trances um, would today probably be described as dissociative episodes. That's just sort of, they just didn't have the name for them back then. So if I were the school psychologist evaluating Billy today, I would definitely want to know more about the dynamics at home, particularly searching for evidence of trauma as depression, dissociation, and suicidal thoughts and actions are all common indicators of PTSD. And so at the time, PTSD wasn't even a diagnosis yet. Hmm. It wasn't added to the DSM until 1980. Um, And the generally accepted mindset was that kind of what happens at home is nobody else's business. Mm -hmm. So chances are the school psychologist wouldn't have pried too much trying to get that information. Yeah. Well, and if Billy stepped in front of that car, I don't know if that was a mistake or if that was a suicide attempt. Right. It could have been that he was out of it and Mm -hmm. dissociated and not paying attention. Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, it could have been been. intentional. Eventually, the principal, after many interactions with Billy, recommended him to the Fairfield County Clinic for guidance and mental health. Dr. Brown did the first interview with Billy, who was really Alan. So Alan showed up instead of Billy. Alan explained that his stepfather hated him very much and that Chalmer would probably kill his mom and it would be Billy's fault and that he has nightmares because of it. He also describes what may be a dissociative experience. Quote, sometimes my body feels funny, like I'm real light and airy. There are times I think I can fly. What do you think, Courtney? Yeah, Alan is pretty accurately describing a specific type of dissociation known as depersonalization, which is when a person feels disconnected from their body and is often described as sort of feeling like they're hovering above themselves, watching what's happening from a distance. So the psychiatrist's report, uh, first report um, is this, quote, Despite the reported experience, he seems to know reality and no clearly psychotic ideation elicited. He is reasonably able to focus and sustain attending. He is oriented. Memory is good. Judgment is severely impaired by the above ideation, and his seeming need to be dramatic. Insight is, insight is insufficient to modify behavior. Diagnosis impression, severe hysterical neurosis with conversion reactions, APA code 300.18. Courtney? Well, given the understanding and the diagnostic options available at the time, this is probably as close of a diagnosis as he could get. Hysterical neurosis was used to describe any number of problems with emotional regulation, And conversion reactions refer to sort of like sensory changes that cannot be explained by like a physical problem. Do you think they gave people with BPD hysterical neurosis as a diagnosis? Probably. Yeah. Well, after a few more sessions, the provider did see enough of erratic behavior and shifting moods that it was recommended that he be admitted to an inpatient hospital. Final doctor, uh, final diagnosis from Dr. Brown. Hysterical neurosis with many passive-aggressive features. About a month after Billy turned 15, he was committed to the children's unit of the Columbia State Hospital as voluntary. 
Billy thought his mom picked Chalmer over him and got rid of him, sort of like Eric Napolitano did. Courtney, do you think it's common when an adolescent is put into a facility like this that they think it's because they were bad or that their parents didn't want them any longer? Yes, that's actually a very common reaction. You know, I've worked with youth in residential settings before, and I've heard that a lot. There's a lot of shame that kids can feel about being kind of, quote, like, so bad that their parents can't handle them. Or especially if there was already trauma or any sort of attachment wound happening. Um, You know, this belief that their parents don't love them and have sort of finally found a way to get rid of them. It's really sad, honestly. Um, And on the other side of things, too, there's also a lot of grief and shame that parents often feel for you know, kind of failing as a parent and having to place their child outside of their home. So it goes both ways. Yeah. I, because, you know, depending on how young the kids are, they might not be able to process that, like, what they're doing isn't normal and that they need help beyond what their parents can do for them. Right. And um, I could see how that, and it might be scary, too. I mean, totally. You're just the... out of home. You're surrounded by strangers mm-hmm. and usually some sort of locked facility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's a sample of staff notes regarding Billy's or, or whomever, one of his alters behavior that was in control at the time. Okay. So March 24th, injury occurred during a fight between this patient and another patient. Daniel M. Injury involved a cut below the right eye. Injury occurred while fighting in the hall outside sleeping rooms. Apparently, William and Daniel were playing. William became angry and stuck and struck Daniel, and then Daniel struck William. So he's fighting, right? Yes. Pretty much right away. <laughs> March 25th. Patient was found with a case knife on his person. Also found a small file on the ward which he had taken out of the wood shop. Dr. Ralu talked with the patient, and he stated he wanted to kill himself. Placed in seclusion and suicidal precautions. Okay, so there he's got, I don't know if if both of those weapons were for himself or if he was going to plan on using them on someone else, but he's acquired weapons. March 26th, patient has been fairly cooperative, complains periodically of seeing weird things. April 1st, patient was screaming at the walls, excuse me, April 1st, patient was screaming that the walls were closing in on him and he didn't want to die. Dr. Raju took him in seclusion and warned him about having cigarettes and matches. Courtney, do you think that when Billy was freaking out about the walls closing in, he was having a PTS, a PTSD episode of being buried alive? Yeah, that sounds very much like a traumatic flashback. Um, and during a trauma flashback, the person really does feel like they are back in that moment of the incident and it's actually happening. So it was probably Danny. Quite possibly, at yeah. At the time, because he was the one that was buried alive by Chalmer. Right. And then peed on. Yes. Yeah. So um, Jason was coming out this time. This was a newer altar. And Jason threw fits. Quote, he was the safety valve who could siphon off excess pressure by screaming and shouting. So Jason was getting Billy in trouble a lot at the hospital. He would often be, be locked up because of his behavior. And Arthur decided that this could not go on. And he demanded that Jason not take over again. He was an undesirable. And we'll see these undesirable altars. And from what I've learned, um, the more dominant of these personalities for the most part, so I'm talking Reagan and Arthur, 
and um, Tommy and Alan, they really just want the body protected and they will do what they can to fit in and protect Billy, Mm -hmm. the self, from harm. And so Jason was not fitting in with this plan. Jason was putting Billy into situations that could get him in trouble or be harmed. Right, exactly. Um, And it's actually pretty common within DID um, for there to be altars that have sort of different roles that they play. Um, We'll talk about this a little bit more later. But one of the common roles is that of gatekeeper. And I would say that probably Arthur would fit this gatekeeper role um, more so than any of the the others. Mm -hmm. um, As he was the one that was aware of the presence of the other altars spent a lot of the time up front, either on the spot or nearby, and took it on himself to take control over who was allowed to, you know, be in front and be controlling the body. Yeah. So several of Billy's personalities painted, and they were excellent painters. They did a lot of art therapy while in this institution. So Danny would do still lifes. Tommy liked landscapes. Alan was into portraits, and Reagan, who was colorblind, would do black and whites. And some of the altars were accepting of medication. So Reagan took the Thorazine. Danny and David, who were young, took the antipsychotics. But for the most part, the rest of them spit out their meds. So I guess we can see how it would be nearly impossible to medicate a DID patient. Danny and David did become aware of each other and spent long nights talking to each other and learning about each other's experiences. Courtney, do you think that it would, I mean, that was just an observation. Do you think it would be pretty hard to medicate a DID patient? It definitely could be, um, especially when it was just as disorganized as the system is at Mm -hmm. this point. Because, yeah, the person yesterday who Mm -hmm. agreed to take this med might not be the same person that is there today when it's time. Yeah. So Philip was out one day when the body of Billy lost his virginity to another patient. She was trying to encourage him to fool around with her, but he was very hesitant. When she asked why, he plainly said because he had been raped by a man. This confused her, but she didn't relent. There was a pond on the property, and the two went swimming. She came in after him naked, and then one thing led to another, and they consummated their relationship. Philip felt elation after the act. I'm not sure who all knew about what had happened. The altars, I mean. I'm sure Arthur knew. Billy's mom requested that he be released on June 19th. The discharge summary read this, quote, prior to discharge, Bill was manipulative with staff members and patients. He would maliciously lie his way out of trouble, harming anyone's reputation and feeling no no remorse. His peer group relations were superficial on his part and his peers were mistrusting of him due to his constant lies. Staff recommendations. The patient's behavior became increasingly disruptive to the ward program. Therefore, the patient is being discharged with the recommendation to seek outpatient treatment for the patient and counseling for the parents. Courtney, I'm thinking he wasn't ready to be discharged. What do you think? And why do you think his mom took him out? He was only there for about three months. He was 15. I mean, he was definitely not ready to be released. No real treatment progress was made. But as for why Dorothy chose to pull him from treatment, my experience points to likely two factors. The first would be guilt about having committed her son in the first place, missing him and wanting him to be back home with her and the family again. And the second is potential shame and embarrassment that comes with having a child who is 
quote, crazy enough to need inpatient treatment, especially back then when the stigma against mental health was so much stronger even than it is today. It makes me angry because to a degree, Billy was safe here. He was not safe at home. Right. And for that reason alone, I would think that Dorothy might have welcomed him to be there, regardless if she thought that, you know, how extreme his mental illness actually was, which they obviously couldn't, didn't know yet. Him him being there for three months, they didn't diagnose him with multiple personality disorder or anything like that. Um, So that kind of rubbed me the wrong way that she took him from an environment where he, you know, maybe it wasn't the best place for him at the time, but it was better than his home environment. I think that in general is a very, very difficult thing Mm -hmm. for parents. I know. And I'm not the parent, Mm -hmm. but being not the parent, I can see it (laughs) more objectively. Yes. (laughs) That September, Billy started high school. Big shocker, he hated it, and he didn't do well. Arthur cut a lot of classes so he could study medical books in the library. Tommy was working on all kinds of escape procedures, and he was becoming a Houdini with ropes and locks, and he could even get out of handcuffs. Billy started a job at an IGA store in 1971 and started to earn some money. Unfortunately for him, kids at school found out he had been in a mental hospital, and they became especially mean to him. One day, a group of girls bullied him. They stole his pants and left him in the girls' bathroom where he was huddled in a ball crying until a teacher saw what happened. She went and found his pants and brought them back to him. After this, he decided, well, Billy decided, he didn't want to live anymore. He penciled a short note saying, goodbye, sorry, but I can't take it anymore. His plan was to run off the top of the school building, but just as he was going to do it, Reagan came and took over. He stopped the attempt. After this event, Arthur and Reagan decided that Billy... The core personality could no longer be trusted. He must no longer hold consciousness. They put him to sleep. Courtney? The main purpose of altars, um, as you sort of stated earlier, is to protect the core personality from pain and from bodily harm. So Reagan did this by interrupting Billy's suicide attempt. Suicidal thoughts and attempts are very common for people with dissociative identity disorder as the havoc that is brought upon their life, both because of the trauma they experienced and because of the constant switching and amnesia. It's it's profound and it's overwhelming. And so dealing with everything can just get to be too much pretty quickly. And so as long as Billy was suicidal... His altars were almost duty-bound to protect him from himself. And it's not uncommon for core personalities to be dormant or put to sleep for long periods of time, for months or even for years. Again, it's just so fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Okay, well, that is where we're going to stop with the story today. But we are going to go over the altars um the 23 altars we haven't been introduced to all of them yet but just so you guys have a frame of reference courtney um i'm gonna we'll we'll share what's going on so you'll help me explain so go ahead yeah so we've sort of broken the altars up into the different functions that they serve for billy and in the did community there are eight ish general functions that most Um, patients agree upon 
and they each play a critical role in how the whole system functions in protecting the core. So the first type are what are known as hosts. And these are the altars or altar that spend the most time fronting the system. Um, and they're the ones that manage the kind of everyday tasks of living. So the ones that get you up in the morning, brush your teeth, like take you to work or school, kind of those kinds of things. Um, and so for Billy, he had, I think, three that operated as hosts. Um, and I'll let Trisha tell you who they were. Okay, well, you guys probably aren't going to be surprised that Arthur was one of these. So he was the educated Englishman. He sort of runs the show once he's aware of everything that's occurring. And then we've got Alan. He's the con man, smooth talker, and he does most of the talking with, like, the adults, right? And then Tommy, he's really good at figuring out mechanics and escaping situations and taking things apart, um, figuring out how things work. Mm -hmm. Yes, and so they're often the ones, you know, fronting on the spot. Mm -hmm. They're probably the ones that do most of the interviews and talking with people and, yeah. Right, exactly. Um, and so the next category of altars are known as protectors. And these are the altars that come forward to take on or to prevent abuse from occurring or impacting that core personality. So they're often really strong and aggressive, um, and they can sometimes be violent. Um, but for Billy, he had probably, I'd say, two. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> Not that this is probably appropriate, but my favorite altar is Reagan, uh, Vastovanovich. Some of them had uh, last names or, or, or not. Right, so, and some of them didn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Reagan is my favorite altar, and it's probably because he's very protective and whatnot. But he's Yugoslavian, and he's the keeper of hate, and he's the protector. And then there's Walter, who is an Australian hunter, and he's good at navigating when Billy would get lost. Right. So of those two, Reagan was present more often mm-hmm. than Walter. Yeah, I feel like him and Arthur had a strong relationship. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then we have the persecutors, which are the altars that either do things to harm the body or go against what is kind of best for the system as a whole. So these sometimes can take the form of an abuser or they may just behave in ways that are self-sabotaging or even criminal. So in Billy's system, there were three persecutors. So we have April. She's a dark-haired, skinny lady from Boston, and she wants to kill Chalmer a lot. That's all she wants when she's fronting. Mm-hmm. Phil, 20, year old, 20 years old, who speaks with a Brooklyn accent, and he is a criminal. And then there's Kevin, which is like Phil's partner in crime. Right. Yeah, they, they often go together. We'll hear a lot about Phil and Kevin In the next episode, I think. Mm -hmm. So then the fourth type of altar are the memory holders. So these are often the first altars to emerge um, and are the most likely to be children. And their job is to hold all of the painful memories of the trauma. And so Billy had at least four of these. So Danny, who we just talked about, the one that was buried alive by Chalmer. um, And he's afraid of everyone pretty much, especially men. David, he is only eight, and he is the keeper of pain. He came, uh, he comes to take all of the physical punishments. Christine, the first three-year-old girl, may have been dyslexic until uh, Arthur helped her, and Sean, the four-year-old who was deaf and probably was one that got yelled at a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. So then we have what are known as introjects, 
And these are based on like real people or characters that the core personality found interesting, admirable, or, or possibly soothing. And so these can be positive, nurturing personalities, or they can be abusive and negative. So if I were to assign some of Billy's alters to this category, I would probably um, include the following three. So Christopher, 13-year-old brother of Christine, he plays the harmonica. Adelana, a lesbian alter who cooks and cleans and remember Chalmer beat her with that garden hose. Right. So now she thinks men are bad. Right. Samuel, an 18-year-old Jewish alter who's very religious. And I think Samuel came from because, you know, Billy's bio dad was Jewish. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then many of the alters, it seems to me, fall under the category of fragments, which are very kind of just like one-dimensional personalities that are only partially formed and really have one specialized trait or purpose. And kind of without all the others, they wouldn't really survive because they're they only do one thing, so to speak. So we have Lee, a comic who does pranks. We'll see him later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve, a funny guy who could make most folks laugh. Jason, he's 13 years old with a hilarious personality, and he doesn't remember the trauma that the body endured. Bobby, a 17-year-old dramatic personality who wants to be an actor but has no real ambition. Martin, he's 19 and he's a snob. Timmy, 15-year-old that only stuck around for a little while. So then the final two types of alters are the gatekeeper, which we discussed earlier as being one of the roles that Arthur plays in the system. And the other is the internal self-helper. So the internal self-helper has the most knowledge and understanding about all of the others and how the system works. They can be thought of almost as a background observer and or the kind of conscience that we all have. So this is often the first altar created, although the others and the core may not notice their presence because they're not really a separate entity so much as the keeper of the collective knowledge and self. In Billy, this altar was known as the teacher, Um, but he didn't come to the front until much later in the story. Right. The teacher is the one that was pretty much interviewed for this book. Right. So the teacher seems to have remembered everything. Right. Yeah. So anyways, um, yeah, let that sink in. (laughs) It's a lot of information we just threw at you. (laughs) Right. And, you know, um, this is a very brief summation of all of those personalities. And some Very reductionist. Yes. yes. And some definitely play more of a role than others and will focus on more personalities than, than the others. Um, but yeah, that, so we really only went through like two years today of his life, but it was a pivotal time. He was mm-hmm. finally, people were like, there's something wrong with this kid. And, you know, he went to outpatient therapy, then inpatient therapy, and then outpatient, outpatient therapy, right, uh, where experts or experts in their fields were able to see his behavior right Mm -hmm. but at this time there wasn't yet the knowledge and understanding of what was actually going on in billy's mind right they probably just thought he was like a moody asshole of a kid right who compulsively lied Mm -hmm. about not remembering things yep 
Yeah. So, yeah, it probably takes, you know, someone who's looking for something specific to get a diagnosis or he would have to have been there for long enough for them to observe the patterns and he just wasn't there long enough. Right. Exactly. So anyways, anything else you want to say? No, I think that's a great place to wrap up part two. Well, also, we just uh, redid Ted Bundy part one. Yes, we did. (laughs) So if you're, you know, at all curious, going back to our roots, we redid it because it was just such awful, awful, awful sound. And um, it's the first one that a lot of people listen to. So I want we want them to keep listening. So we redid it. (laughs) So if you, you know, forgot about Ted or what you learned about it, because it was over a year ago. It was. And you'd like to listen again. We have redone just part one because that was the worst. Uh, But yeah, we'll release that this week, too. Right. Woohoo. Go us. Yay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, everyone be safe and we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.